Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode of the Dairy Edge, dairy specialist Joe Patton quantifies the fodder reserve required on farm to cope with adverse weather conditions and first looks back at the cause of the fodder deficit in 2018. First thing perhaps that we had an adverse autumn we had an adverse spring and we had a dry summer, almost three weather incidents that rolled one into the other um, in some parts of the country. Okay, um, And that put particular pressure in particular areas of, of the country. Now, anywhere that really sort of experienced either just the one of them or none of them at all, but everywhere got hit with at least one problem in the last 18 months. But Wherever there was only maybe one problem, people tend, tended to cope quite well. But as a, as, a, as those big parts of the country, and particularly some of the more intensive livestock areas, got hit with three uh, consecutive uh, issues, which did contribute to it ran down the reserves. Um, it ran down the reserves quite low in a lot of cases. So, um, but when you do look at that and you see how the country managed to cope with it in in terms of catching up in the in the latter part of the year you would be encouraged that people very much sort of farms the way out of the problem like if you think about you know how the, i know granted that we 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 had the benefit of you know a pretty a pretty good winter winter just gone like you know the the winter of 2018-19 of was 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 quite kind to us i suppose but um when you look at the, the country actually pulled out of the, the deficit in, in, in quite well in, in hindsight. So uh, I suppose really the, the, the short answer is that we ended up in a situation where we had a series of weather events coming back to back, which really tested the, tested the, the, the reserves on, on a lot of farms. And I guess a comment, Joe, that I would have heard a lot was that, um, you know, it was farmers that had gone too far in terms of cow numbers, you know, that had, you know, carrying very high stocking rates. I don't know. Was that the case? I think you know everyone was affected in some way, shape, or form. Um, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I mean, you know that that's a very um, it's a very understandable um, it's a very understandable um, assumption to make or a conclusion to come to on it, Emily. And we have to say that in some cases that that um, conclusion would be valid. There is no doubt that there are some farms that. Um, that probably carried uh, more stock than the farm could could allow for, and I suppose we have to remember that those may not be the biggest farms out there. They may not be the most highly stocked farms either. That you know, I think we need to change the the, the measure there a little bit in people's mind from being highly stocked to being to being overstocked. Okay, there's a difference. Um, highly stocked farms that had good reserves in place and had good productivity in their soils through or good productivity in their sports through better soils and, and good management have the obviously will have a long-term capacity to carry more stock than farms that perhaps have poor soil fertility no reseeding done no feed budgeting done no grass measurement done so absolutely overstocked farms um, felt felt the, the, the pinch but our overstocked farms and highly stocked farms, same thing, uh, not necessarily. And and to follow on from that, that's a really interesting statement, overstocked. And that can often be, I suppose, the number of animals relative to the means of your farm to, to grow um, grass. And like I guess following on from that, 
there sometimes is confusion between how much feed allowance we have per cow and the feed utilized in terms of you know we, we you know there's um there's often a talk of five and a half tons or or six tons of feed um if we look at the allowance for a cow so say if we look at one cow what is her annual feed allowance well we would, yeah look i would say that if we're talking about from a, from a grow gra- marrying into grass grows a little bit to make it easier we would say that to bring in for enough con- enough uh, enough forage basically uh, to cover the cow for the year you're talking at least um five and a half tons of of grass grown okay allowing a little bit for um utilization but at least at the very least five and a half tons of grass grown with the supplement on top of that okay so you could say that you know different herds will have different levels of supplementation depending on yield etc etc but we need five and a half tons of forage um and we 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 take the concentrate above that so very simply then if your farm is growing 11 tons and the the stocking rate uh the, the the stock carrying capacity of that farm is 11 divided by five and a half which is two cows per hectare two livestock units per hectare okay that's that's where it's at um and no higher than that so you know grass growth versus um and versus demand is a very it's it's a fairly simple sum but that's the, that's the type of numbers that um that's the type of numbers that we come to so um you know it, it's surprising and i think it's it's understandable too i suppose that People read about stocking rates and people talk about stocking rates of 2.7 and 3 and whatever it might be. It does, I mean, talking about stocking rates without reference to grass growth capacity is very, very dangerous. Very, very dangerous indeed. Um, so, for example, we did some work with this in the, in the spring um, with our own advisors and with some groups as well, looking at, you know, how, how short a silage would you be depending on your growth rate? Um, let's say you're stocked at two and a half cows to the hectare, 2.5 to the hectare. If you're growing 15 and a half tons, you'll have a slight surplus in silage. If you're growing 13 and a half tons, you're going to be short about a bale per cow equivalent of silage. And if you're growing only 10 and a half tons, you're going to be short five and a half um, silage bales per cow equivalent. Um, and that's all at 2.5 stocking rate. So, you know, grass growth obviously has a major, major effect on what we call um, what we call optimum stocking rate. So, highly stocked and overstocked is totally different at the same cows per hectare measurement. Okay, if that if that makes if that makes sense. And I guess look, when we look at all the variables that you're talking about there, you're talking about you know the number of cows per hectare and and the the feed allowance. But like the the, the big determinant, like based on what you're saying, is that we're looking at the the grass growth and you know a lot of us still don't have a handle on exactly how much we're growing. Um, so you know th- that's a very good starting point. Well, I I think it would probably surprise some people that if you said that you're growing thirteen and a half tons, right, which is not that far from the pasture base average on a, on a normal year, like on a normal year up to the, the average pasture base growth for, for farms. And that would be farms growing and measuring. So you'd imagine that they're going to be at the better side of the thing. They're growing about 13.7, 13.8 tonnes dry matter there or thereabouts, which is just about capable of supporting about 2.45 livestock units per hectare there or thereabouts, right? You know, the bottom 10% of farms on a pasture base are growing around 10 tons, which is actually able to support about 1.8 to 1.9 livestock units per hectare. So, you know, I think just as things have changed and we see a lot of research work done on stocking race and 
we see very highly productive farms in in the media and in our own publications and a farm off talking about stocking rate up 2.5 and all the rest and that is achievable given their quality of uh, pasture and the, the growth rate of pasture that they're talking about but for our average person uh, and our average growth rate the, the whole farm stocking rates of about 1.9 is probably as far as it goes until uh, productivity in sports is improved and and that really, when when you say that 1.9 based on grass growth um, potential on the farm currently, you know, that's your optimum. So you're not making surpluses in the average year no, no, on that no, farm. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think that's one thing that I suppose it's one thing that we've been trying to we've been trying to, to, to sort of get a conversation going on that is that when we talk about stocking rate and change in stocking rate in order to build a feed reserve, we sort of Really, I would contend that optimum stocking rate and then having a feed reserve are two separate but related questions, right? That the optimum stocking rate, if, you, if you're, look, ideally, if you're optimally stocked, you end up with, you basically use your last bale on the day you need your last bale, if you know what I'm saying, and that's it. That it's perfectly balanced. You use what you need, and there's not a huge surplus or a huge deficit around that that you, you, you just have about enough. That's what the optimum would be. Now, if we run at optimal stocking rate, we do need then to have a reserve over and above that in case that our that our grass growth drops away from what we had what we have set the farm to to, to to suit. Okay. So, you know, we should be looking at optimal stocking rate based on the long term growth rate on the farm with the long term growth potential on the farm. And then we need to be looking at a feed reserve as a once-off measure almost to 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 complement that in case things go a little bit a little bit awry in terms of growth rate. So, you know, stock. You know, if we, if we took the approach of saying I'm going to understock the farm in order to have enough feed reserve, we will end up you missing an opportunity to to have to have more maybe milk output or more productivity. We just end up in a situation where we've you know, we end up accumulating too much silage, basically. Uh, we, we just need to have, we need to be a bit careful to define the two things as slightly as slightly separate. So we would be saying, stock the farm optimally, make sure that it can grow enough to meet the farm's demand on a, on a sort of five-year average. But on top of that, then, we should be looking at, as a once-off option, looking at maybe bringing a bit of reserve in just to keep us in check in case things go a bit a bit wrong with growth rate. Can you quantify that reserve for us, Joe? Like I say, on a per cow basis. Look, on a per cow basis, you know, a bit of a how long is a piece of string, Emily Louise? But I would say that if you're on the, if you're maybe slightly higher stocked, if the risk is higher, and maybe ground conditions are maybe at risk as well. So maybe the, maybe the best way to look at that is farms that have more variation year on year in their growth rate. Okay, so for example, if you just take two research farms for 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 example, the Ballyhays farm, I think, uh, from memory, the Ballyhays farm has a greater degree of variability in its growth rate than perhaps maybe the Curtin's farm in 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 Moorparkwood. So, when you have a bigger degree of variation, there there's probably going to be more years where you're going to be running into a bit of a bit of an issue. So, in that case, more risk you would be talking about probably something like in and around sort of three bales per cow equivalent or 600 kilos dry matter of, of silage as a reserve, possibly on a less uh, risky farm, 
um, you're probably talking more like four, 400 kilos. So maybe, you know, two bales equivalent or thereabouts. And that's of silage over and above what you would have made for your optimum stocking rate. That's the scale of the reserve you're almost getting from, you know, from from an additional source or whatever it might be. And and in terms of that additional silage, are you looking at say say by and large if you're at optimum stocking rate, you're not making a lot of surplus in in the majority of years. Are you looking at going out and purchasing this reserve to put in the yard say this year? Um, you know, based on running down reserves and stocks in the yard in twenty eighteen. Yeah, I I think look at I fully take the point that you know cash flow is. Cash flow can be tight, and do people want to tie themselves into having a lot of feed in the yard? And is that is that cash wasted or whatever? But I don't think, based on you know, if you think about it, last year the, the, the deficit last year was close to a ton of dry matter. Okay, we're really saying that somewhere between forty and sixty percent of a, of the large deficit should be accounted for by having a bit of a reserve. So I would be saying, yeah, look at the. You know, depending on the degree of risk on your farm, and it's up to everyone to make their own decision on that. But it would be, it's not a, it's not a, a big load to carry to say that on a year like this where forage seems to be plentiful, the cost of it is well down from where it was. Um, is it would it be prudent for somebody to maybe invest a little bit in building a bit of a feed reserve? I think that it depends on whether you want to take the risk of next year being the same as last year, I suppose. I think um, it it would be something we would be encouraging people that are on the riskier end of things to certainly go and do. Now, look, at, at this stage of the year, it's probably gone, you know, at this stage of the year, perhaps it's gone, we've missed the boat a little bit and that there's plenty of grass silage to be to be gathered up um, at this, you know, and it's it's something I would say that perhaps might be slightly late thinking about it for for 2019 but certainly for 2020 it's probably something you'd be setting sort of setting out a plan a plan for uh now look just to be clear on that we are not talking about a situation where somebody goes into into uh gets themselves tied into a system where they're buying in additional silage and being reliant on that to balance the feed budget year on year this is simply a once-off type of an arrangement where you would just buy some surplus silage from a neighbour who has it, for example, on the stem, maybe as a once-off, maybe get some, you know, if it's maize, if that's the area that suits, maybe as a once-off do that as well. But we're not talking about driving up stocking rate on the back of a lot of purchase feed. That That's a very important distinction. I think that needs to be, that needs to be remembered. We really are talking here about if you have, let's say, a standard 100 cow herd that they go and they make an effort of just securing an extra three or 400 bales equivalent or an extra bit of pit silage from somewhere as a once-off and leave it at that and don't drive your stocking rate up on the back of having a surplus. Don't drive your stocking rate up on the back of a lot of expensive purchase silage. Yeah, I guess this this, this uh, silage or or maize we're talking about is something that's going to sit in the yard, you know, that it, it, it isn't for, for eating um, in the year, essentially. And exactly, uh, and it's, it's a rolling stock. Like, it's not that... Whatever you have, this that's your, you know, it's not as if this silage reserve is going to sit over in the corner labelled silage reserve. It just goes into the general stock and it's going to be a rolling, you know, it's a rolling stock basically. So if you buy, if you bought an extra couple of hundred bales this year and fed them, you're going to end up with a heel of a pit extra next year that you wouldn't have had. There's your reserve. That's how you put your reserve in the pit. You know what I'm saying? It's, 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 the mechanics of it is quite simple. Like you just, 
if you buy stuff that won't keep, feed it first and the stuff in the pit will be, you'll have, you'll have extra stuff left in the pit ne- for next year. You have built your reserve then and that's you. It just puts you ahead, just puts you that wee bit ahead and maybe t- puts a bit of comfort in the system. And then in terms of getting best value for money, what what would you target? Are you targeting, um, say, you know, leasing a farm for 12 months and fertilising it and, and cutting? Are you looking to cut, uh, say, to purchase on the stem? Like what what's your advice there, Joe? Yeah, hugely variable. And look, there's no one answer to that. Emma-Louise really accept to say that, you know, look, any silage is going to cost you, you know, it's going to cost, I suppose you're trying to get it in for 17 ideally under 17 cent a kilo dry matter or 170 euros per ton of dry matter so um on a lot of farms that maybe are poor for soil fertility and need a lot of work it's almost impractical to 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 take that as conacre for one year for cutting silage an awful lot of it i think would be done as silage on the stem from surpluses from from farms that have for whatever reason have lower demand than their growth rate i think Purchasing on the stem, while expensive, we we just remember we are talking about something that's a relatively small amount of silage in terms of for the overall scheme of things. Um, and it might may not you may not have to buy all the reserve in the one year. It might be just buy a bit extra this year and buy a bit extra next year and build it up over time. But um, yeah, look, you know, if I was looking at the long term leasing of a plot, of a block, you're almost going to end up then incorporating that into your into your stocking rate decisions, then, aren't you? Because it's under your own control. Um, whereas, sort of taking taking opportunities for silage as they arise and being ready to be able to take those opportunities as they arise would seem to me to be the better option in the short term to build bits of reserves because there is there is there was plenty of that kind of stuff around this year. You take it as you get it. Now, that does bring me on to one thing you're just thinking on, that for a lot of farms, perhaps, um, the one thing that's lacking on a lot of farms in order to manage feed and feed reserves is the capacity to store um, additional silage. You know, it's a feature of a lot of farms where silage pits, as in silage storage areas, have become too small for the scale of what people need to have in the yard. Um, and I know that people don't li- possibly don't like handling or buying bales because they're hard to handle and they don't keep. Um, there is a there is a there's a case to be made for saying well your reserve is re- does need kind of to be pit silage in a way. I know you can use your bales to help manage it a little bit, but if we had the capacity for storage, I think we could probably do a better job gathering up um, gathering up reserves over a two or three year period. And finally, then, Joe, um, looking ahead to the winter of 2019, I know speaking to farmers at the open day in July in Moorpark, they were saying that, you know, their first cut, um, they may end up making 60 percent of their feed uh, requirements for the winter. Um, Can you give us some advice on some steps that we can take right now to have a look around the yard and see what we have in terms of of winter fodder and how we can assess whether we have a deficit or or um, we have enough for winter? I think so. Look, Eloise, I think it's a very important one. There is a there is a perception abroad. I think there is an, a, a perception out there that everybody's fine for feed this year, and largely you would you would sort of think that has to be close to it's close enough to the mark. But you know how much how far ahead are we really? Um, and there are there's bound to be farms as there always are. 
that are maybe a little bit maybe a little bit short. So there is need for people rather than just ever, you know, rather than just measuring on the years when you think you're short, you probably need to be measuring every year, uh, measuring the stocks. So um, certainly um, doing a feed budget out in terms of cow numbers by the number of days, certainly um, there's so many templates out there to do that. Um, you know, there's actually a very good one now on, on pasture base as well. It's been added like an online one, which you can save up on pasture base and review it over time. That would be something that people could do if they're on pasture base is just measure their pits, count the bales in the yard, put, stick it into the stick it into the um, to the to the feed budget program there, and then your cow numbers, and it'll give you an estimate of whether you're short or whether you're not. So um, certainly that should be done in good time now. I suppose late August is a good time to look about to look about doing that, um, and then if people are significantly short, which you know you'd say the numbers that are going to be significantly short are not, they're not going to be huge. But then you do look at the old story of saying, well, are there cows that I should offload early or uh, culls I should offload early to make the difference? Do I need to go now and buy before um, before things are you know buy a bit of extra silage? Perhaps is probably the easiest thing feeding restricted meals you know probably not a lot of appetite for that so i would imagine the best thing to do is take a look at your cow numbers a quick budget for those quick measurement on your pits plus your bales maybe get your track advisor to do the sums with you um and then see what plus or minus you're short and based on what you can see out there there is there is forage available for purchase buy a little bit at the start of the year if you think you need it uh, and don't go into the winter second guess, and that would be the main. That would be the main thing. Look, I think that's um, a, a great note to finish on, Joe. And as you say, you know where where farmers do have questions, their Chagas advisors, their discussion groups, and indeed pasture base are there to help in, in terms of making the calculations and and looking at alternatives where they're short. Yeah, because look, I think that's the thing, and you know, you know, length by breadth by height divided by X, Y, or Z, it all depends on your dry matters and the heights of your pit and all that. So it can get a bit confusing. So I think, you know, rather than get to all that, I think you just take your take your measurements, your physical measurements, and then, you know, your target advisor will help you get the figure on, on, on a page then uh, to work it out. And that's the thing to do. And um, go, into the, go into the winter with a bit of confidence in it, Emily. That's what I would say. That's great. Thank you, Joe. Not all. Okay. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Joe Patton for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.